Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncovered hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watch JFK. JFK, Kevin Costner plays Jim Garrison, a New Orleans district attorney who starts to question the legitimacy of the government's investigation into the assassination of President Kennedy. As he explores the details, his team uncovers many inconsistencies and starts to see potential evidence of a conspiracy, and he's determined to find out the truth. Screenplay by Oliver Stone and Zachary Sklar, directed by Oliver Stone, and released on December 20th, 1991. Have you seen JFK before? Yes, I saw this in high school. Was it like a assignment for high school, I'm assuming, then? I think we watched this in class. For, like, history class? Yeah, and I think, looking back, my history teacher at that time liked Oliver Stone because we also watched Platoon. Okay. Which I like Platoon more. Uh, it's a much different situation, I would say, Platoon. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. The, yeah, I mean, they may have, the, your teacher may have been of the same era. I think... With a lot of the same disillusionments that Oliver Stone has. And Yeah, yeah I think he was really into Vietnam. Because or we, just like the history around it. Yeah, he yeah. was really into a lot of current history like mo- i don't want to say i don't know modern history even though it's like so what you're talking 50 about years ago gulf war operation no we didn't oh. even i think he liked to talk about a lot after what happened after world war Two. okay this was like i don't know what class i think this is like sophomore i have no idea but yeah <laughs> we focused a lot on like vietnam so this would have been a movie that you would have... I remember when I watched movies in class, it typically had to be done between like two and three days. This would yeah, be like a whole Yeah, this was like week. a three-day... Yeah, this would be like a three- or four-day event. And we watched the director's cut for this, which adds another half hour, basically. So we're looking at like three and a half hours worth of movie that we just consumed. This is my third viewing overall. None of them were for class. Um, the first time was just in high school. Because that's when I got into movies in general. That's when I started to, you know, look at the 400 top AFI nominees, which this was part of. And so I, you know, gave it a shot then. And also I was more interested in conspiracy theory stuff back then, too. Um, And then I don't remember why I watched it the second time, but I did. Um, I feel like I liked it a little bit less this time than I did before. But I still overall like it. I think 
it's I like... think the, the main thing to keep in mind is this is not this should not be construed as presenting truth yeah these just this is the conspiracy like all the conspiracy theories behind the assassination of JFK and it the movie is three and a half hours which anything more than one hour and my brain is like too long I don't know (laughs) so um I was like getting bored but it was also so fast-paced I was like I can't keep up with all the like back and forth of who was who and this and that and who thought this and who did that it's like you needed to really read books and know I mean I I know it but it's when I was younger I think I was like I think I was bored because I was like I don't even know what the fuck's going on (laughs) but and then same here but the I didn't like until like the last hour Mm. So what changed in the last hour that made you? I think I just like courtroom dramas. Just give me a courtroom drama. So when it got into like the actual court case part. Yeah, yeah. Just give me the facts and like she break it down to me, and show it to me in like a cliff notes type of fashion. But I think the whole lead up to it was, I don't. It was like a lot of information in this time like if i know there was no such thing as i don't know i'm thinking about like if they were to redo this i would watch this in like a 10 part series in like hbo type of documentary style thing broken down into parts yeah and i think um i see where you're going with that i think to the, the retain downside of, this information. The downside of these miniseries shows that exist now uh, that are meant to be like limited series and sort of expanded movies in a sense is that the key progression is spread so thin and there's a lot of filler that's put into there. So like the 10-hour miniseries would probably have the exact same amount of information that you have in this. In this case, that might help because it can space things out and help you retain some information, give you a little more context because some of these things are so rapid fire. But um, I think if you're doing a 10 part series, there's probably quite a lot that was omitted from this. Yeah, that that's could be included. I, I don't know if a filmmaker would. I think they would just take the big bullet points and then just yeah put them know, in this movie. I, it's I don't stretch it. It's like for time. The movie was really long, but it's like we get you're trying to get all this information in within like three and a half hours or two and a half because basically the last hour is just like the courtroom, the the trial. Yeah, and the trial. I mean, obviously, the first couple hours is like the build up, not just yeah, not just Jim Garrison understanding that there may be something else going on here, uh, because that starts to happen relatively quickly. But the building of the case, chasing the leads, talking to people, trying to piece together the ideas that lead into the eventual closing arguments that is like the last hour or so. Um, So it's all kind of part and parcel, but the presentation may be part of what threw you off because it is scatterbrained. There's a lot of 
jumping around in the timelines of events where you're talking to somebody and they're explaining something that happened, you know, months before the assassination happened. And then you next yeah. thing you have someone talking about something that happened after the assassination happened. And then you talk to somebody you talked about what happened a couple of weeks before the assassination. So, like, it's not a straightforward timeline at any point in this whole thing. And so also keeping track of all those cast of characters as you go along is tough especially when at a certain point they just speak to them by name they don't really show them as much so like when you talk about like um this cast is huge by the way like this is just a massive massive cast but um you know when they're talking with like about ed asner's character yeah right uh like in the he's very shown beginning. at the very beginning but then when they speak about him they only speak about him yeah, and you're He's like, well, who is scenes. that? I constantly had to... But then I was also... I mean, I was watching the movie, but also looking up who the real people, these people, these actors were portraying. Yeah, maybe that hurts you a little bit too, because you're like side-focused on doing your research otherwise, yeah. whereas I'm trying to and just I'm, take notes about the plot of the actual film. That's... I mean, while I watch these movies, I'm also researching at the same time. So I was looking up... All these conspiracy theories and i was and the, like yeah. my brain is gonna explode yeah it's like too much information and then i'm like so scatterbrained that i don't even know what i retained <laughs> i mean with the jfk thing it's it's, I mean... it's so it's it's too much it's that'd be like a, I mean, a career yeah. that's people's careers well that's what this so... jim garrison guy i mean he spent a good five six years yeah. That's what this movie is pretty much about. Him obsessing over the assassination of JFK. Like he, and diving into everything. And he's just like, I need answers. Like I get it. He's like, I need the answer. I need to know. Type of, Like I won't rest until someone is to blame here. Yeah, I think the, the main thesis of the movie is probably the most important part. I think, you know... To get into the nitty-gritty of what actually happened, what didn't happen, is really tough with the movie like this because um, several factors. I think, honestly, just like the opening scene where you have the, you know, 4 by 3 footage, which is like grainy 8mm actual archival stuff, and you have, you know, the, these newscasts and everything. And then Oliver Stone goes ahead and throws in footage shot with the same cameras with the same aspect ratio of fictional stuff of like this woman being dumped on the side of the road yeah. and now she's in a hospital warning about jack ruby and it's all meant to look of the era it's meant to look archival so just from like that opening scene you kind of have the thesis of the movie which is don't trust anyone <laughs> right, right, and, and and unfortunately, what that means is also don't trust Oliver Stone's filmmaking. In his, you know, like he's he's throwing his own doubts into what he's presenting by doing this, and maybe that was the point too. But I think the overall thing is like don't just blindly trust your government. Don't just blindly trust the people in power because they may not always have your best interests at heart, or they may be hiding some very very important stuff from you. If it's a good reason, who knows? But the point is, like, that's that's the thing. 
Um, and, you know, we see that a lot in politics on either side of the aisle where everyone just blindly trusts their preferred party and they shit on the other one. And that's sort of what we're seeing in this, where you have like people who are really, really happy that Kennedy is dead. Yeah, that's, I mean, we see that in the very beginning. In fact, one of the angry bar patrons that's in there, he is uh, played by a key witness for Garrison's real-life trial. Yeah. Uh, Perry R. Russo saying, like, good, glad he's dead. He's basically the person that they based uh, Willie O'Keefe off of, the um, the uh, Kevin Bacon character. Okay. Um, but he's, you know, he's a real person, but... And Ed Asner's character also is like, he's super glad that he's done. Um, and the whole conspiracy is that this is beneficial to the government because JFK was trying to stop these wars that a lot of people wanted to have in order to profiteer off of. Yeah, and it's it starts like during the farewell address and the outgoing president Dwight D. Eisenhower warns about the buildup of the military industry. Yeah, the military-industrial complex. Industrial yeah. complex, yeah. And JFK... It's, it starts with, like, it's one of the first things that happens while JFK is in office was the Bay of Pigs invasion and the Cuban Missile Crisis. So it's like people are, you know... Going back to that, where the people are like, well, what he did at the Bay of Pigs and blah, blah, blah. He deserves yeah. to die. I mean, that's like how what we hear now with any president we have, I guess. I mean, it's yeah, just... It, it, yeah, exactly. If, and, and also, I mean, there's also like hidden stuff within that too, right? Like, you know, Kennedy is doing certain things that are hide that are hidden from other people right there's yeah. always like this level of clearance there's always this level of secrecy and stuff that happened in the cuban missile crisis was not known to the general public and wasn't known to the people who may or may not have been involved in this necessarily either and it only came to light decades after he passed um same thing with like jimmy carter where he's just like villainized all the time and then like you know like argo comes out and says look at all the secret stuff he did to get these people out Mm-hmm. You know, there's all kinds of weird little things that, that happen in each presidency that just are never known. Um, and then obviously at the end, you know, Garrison, I, I mean, uh, I don't want to say vind- vindicated, but at the same time, like, you know, the whole concept of Clay Shaw being a CIA agent ends up being true. But he was acquitted of yeah. of that here. So you can't trust people. And, and it's... It's a really sticky, very complicated thing. And it also is very complicated because there's a fine line between not trusting what your government officials tell you and going into deep-end conspiracy theory stuff where you're trying to find facts that... only agree with what your personal perception already is and dismissing the rest. I don't know how much this movie does the latter. Right? Because I have not done a ton of research on JFK. I don't know a whole lot about the conspiracy theories. The main thing, obviously, is that Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone and there was, like, a a big contingency of... uh, 
rebels and government officials working together using Clay Shaw, Clay Bannister as sort of like the conduit or whatever middleman for some of these things, mm -hmm. and that there was multiple assassins at a triangular point um, doing dirty work. But that goes like really, really far down the rabbit hole. And I don't know how much of that is off the wall. I don't know how much of what the movie presents is completely fictionalized for this movie. I don't know how many of these plot holes or, you know, discrepancies are real, how many are not. I don't know either because I didn't... I mean, yeah, there's, there's too many to even right. look at. There's, I mean, yeah, even now people are probably still... It's kind of just like any other major event. Like with uh, like in our generation, it's what happened at 9-11. All those sure. conspiracy theories. It's just... But I think the other aspect we, of it too... Sorry. It, I don't know. I, but it's just... I feel like everyone's going to have their own opinion and we won't know the actual truth ever. Yeah, and I think part of the reason we won't know the actual truth is that if the government was so heavily involved as this film theorizes, the idea behind the trial is that there are a whole bunch of documents that the government is hiding that we need to see. Yeah. But are there? Right? And not just because they don't not just because the government didn't have a hand in it, but if the government did have such a heavy hand in this, would they leave that paper trail or would they just destroy it in the secrecy of night? Because mm -hmm. Watergate, right? Like Nixon mm -hmm. was purposely shredding documents. If they, if the government had any sort of inkling that anything was going to be leaked out to the public or, you know, whatever, then they could easily just destroy it. And then you wouldn't know one way or the other. Yeah. So... We're not meant to know, um, not just in this case, but also in the case of this film. Yeah. And, and you know, so that's kind of like a roundabout way of, of getting to that aspect. And and I think Oliver Stone at least just does a good job of, of long-windedly, but also in a weird way efficiently, outlining all of these different possible inconsistencies. And then it's open-ended enough or makes you curious enough to say, well, look, you can now go look into some of these things yourself. Yeah, it's just like open. I think there was just a lot of controversy when I was reading about the making of this. There was a lot of controversy about while Oliver Stone was filming this that people were like, he's just being very exploitative of this. I mean, it was just um, 30 years after the assassination and people are still kind of thinking it's too soon yeah i mean i mean think about it this way like if we were going to start seeing movies about the 9-11 tragedy i mean there's a big, there have big, been I mean, yeah there have been a couple but i mean let's say about the conspiracy behind it of oh you know buildings don't collapse that way and stuff like that Right, yeah, like, people will be if like, like, I major don't... major motion pictures with, like, a big cast of A-list celebrities behind mm -hmm. that, there would be an uproar. Oh, yeah, because the people don't want to relive that. Yeah, and that's, I think that's this a big is exactly part of it. Mm -hmm. this, like, the same thing. Yeah, and Oliver Stone is kind of looking at this as, like, this is a domino. 
Like this is this is a big domino that fell and caused a whole bunch of other stuff to happen. And we need to understand why that domino fell because it seems like it was pushed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something where somebody with a BB gun can do it. You need a lot of people pushing that domino. It, maybe. Maybe that happened. I don't know. I don't know. The, <laughs> the only time I ever got, like, really into, like, the JFK assassination was from reading um, 11-22-63. The Stephen King. The Stephen King book that... That came out in, what, like 2011, I think. But that, while watching this movie, it's like a lot of names uh, is used in 11-22-63. I mean, that makes sense. In this movie, so it's just like, okay, I was like, okay, I know these people, or not know them, but I'm like, okay, I know what's happening. You know their role. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I know their roles in this but, um, yeah, in that book, it was just, you know, someone going back in time trying to stop the assassination of JFK, and the person does uh-huh. stop it, but then when he goes back to current time, he realizes that there were other tragedies, like, hor- more horrible tragedies that happened, so it's just, like, this is just a lesson of, like, this needed to happen. Yeah, or, yeah, just the concept of death. You Un- know, the, unnecessary, the, yeah. The butterfly like, effect. Yeah. It, there's a lot of stuff that's presented in this movie that, if it's all true, seems very damning. But again, because of the way that Oliver Stone presents a lot of this information, it's tough to take it at face value. And this is not a documentary. And I think that's also a very important point to keep in mind, is that... Even documentaries have bias. Even documentaries have this propaganda side to them because they're presenting a very specific viewpoint. Even if they are trying to be impartial, they pick and choose what goes in the documentary. So there's always that bias that's in there. And then when you have Oliver Stone, who's using purposely mixed media, where you're shooting an 8mm, 16mm, you know, actual... Yeah, using the actual everything. F- footage of the assassination. Yeah, and then also using like the legitimate Zapruder film in there too. Um, and doing his best to take pictures with the same type of film cameras that existed in the 60s for the still images and everything else that goes along with it. It's, it's showing you how you can't always trust your eyes, too. And it's also basically just right. saying like, you know, this is... This is my interpretation. And there's nobody on the other side saying, here's why this is wrong, or this was disproven this way, this way, this way. There's none of that, of course, because it's not a documentary. It's not a two-sided thing. It's Oliver Stone presenting his thing, and there's nobody to refute that actively. But what is presented is a very... I don't know. I, I found it to be very intriguing there are definitely slow spots to it yeah there are but the the parts where garrison is talking to like his team i guess when he's like yeah when he's having his board con- boardroom sort of conversations yeah, where they they are coming up with their own ideas and theories themselves and um 
even up into the point where they were like okay Jim you're crazy and I'm not gonna believe you anymore like they all kind of like I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you do have, like, Michael Rooker here is playing, like, uh-huh. Bill Broussard, who right. I, I think is a fictional character. Yeah, yeah, because I was trying to look up a lot of people to see who was based off of actual people. Like, Laurie Metcalf, I don't think she was, like, her character, Susie Cox, I don't think there was a real Susie Cox. Okay. So, yeah, maybe a lot of the team members were... were just based off of some of his team members, but, yeah, you know, just like, loosely. Yeah, different names. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Bill Broussard, played by Mil- Michael Rooker here. Um, I'm going to go through some of the cast credits now so that we can, <laughs> like, save time at the end. Spirit nominated for Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and also Mississippi Burning. He's been in things like Eight Men Out, Mallrats, Walking Dead, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, he is the one who is sort of anti this, mm-hmm. uh, and he, and he, the, the film insinuates that he flips on them and actually tries to get Garrison arrested by the cops, um, and sort of, you know, um, through like some solicitation in a public bathroom type of a thing. Right. Um, but he, he I mean, he does basically say like, look, there's... We have 12 people in this room, and no way can keep a secret in this room. You, you're telling me that you have, like, the mob and the CIA and the FBI and all these other people working together, and everybody's tight-lipped. Mm-hmm. Which is the type of thing that makes sense on the surface. And then there's this other thing, like, you know, when Jack Ruby shoots, shoots Harvey, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, and Garrison says, you know, there are 70 cops there. What were they doing? Like, simple sentences that seem innocuous. But at the same time, yes, it's very possible that more than 12 people keep a secret. I mean, look at Marvel movies. Look at Guardians of the Galaxy. There are hundreds and thousands of people who work on those movies who don't spill the beans. You know? Right. And well, that's like something that doesn't matter. You have to sign matter. like a non-disclosure agreement or whatever. Yeah, I mean, but that's something that doesn't even matter. When you're talking about like a big government secret, I mean, think about the stuff that's come out in the past that has come to light later. These people are in the business of keeping secrets. That uh-huh. is their whole purpose in life. So yes, <laughs> it is very possible um, that that happened. And you know, the seventy cops being there, what were they doing? Yeah, I mean that, that's that's easy to say, but you know, how many tragedies happen when there are policemen around because they're not looking in the right spot at the right time, or they don't know that there might be a threat right. in, in yeah. that way, uh, or in that specific manner, and it's just too late. So and then I mean a lot of people just didn't really care because they're like oh well he, I mean he died anyways because they all just think oh he killed JFK and yeah oh they're like everyone was just like okay well we found the guy and he is dead so we're done yeah so I yeah I understand where those those scenes kind of drag a little bit where they're talking about the case and how the case specifically can progress um obviously the the meat of it is in the reenactments and this is another thing that the movie does to kind of play around with the truth i guess um is they present a lot of theories as reenactments yeah and that was like so i I guess i was getting confused but you know 
they treat these things as gospel truth, but really it's just, um, you know, theories, mm-hmm. but presented in acted scenes with like David Ferry, who was played by Joe Pesci and, you know, Kevin, uh, Kevin Bacon's Willie O'Keefe character together. Um, those conversations probably never happened. There's no yeah, they don't alluded have to documentation that any of these conversations what these people actually said happened. to each other. But this is sort of like the proof that the movie gives you to say that this is what happened, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's a problem. But it's also entertainment. Well, we can we just talk about like in the beginning when everyone finds out about the JFK assassination. Oh, sure. And yeah. Kevin Costner as Jim Carrison is like, oh, oh no. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, just, like, the like, way oh, he's I, trying to sound concerned sad. Yeah, you have, like, J.O. Sanders, who we've seen before in V.I. Warshawski, who's, like, the main assistant to, to yeah. Garrison in here, Kevin Costner's uh, Garrison. Um, coming in and say, "Hey, it looks like the president's been seriously injured. Come, come down here because they're while watching the newscast in a bar." And Kevin Costner's like, "Oh no, oh, oh!" oh. <laughs> like, like, like he his, sounds like an like somebody like an eighty-year-old man, like <laughs> yeah, trying to get up or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, like, like, oh jeez, oh, oh, oh man, that's oh that's a. But that's a pickle, that just, huh? I mean, that oh, really made me laugh. From I'm like, yeah. And then I was like, is Kevin Costner a good actor? <laughs> Quote unquote. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would still say yes, <laughs> but no. That was not I mean, uh, at that point, like, it, yeah. when he did the whole courtroom, coming from Robin Hood, where he's not that good, and now he's putting on this. Yeah, I mean, he goes from and... yeah the southern accent to this supposed. British accent. It's just I don't know. But um, what, and, then, and then not too long after that, you see Joe Pesci in his terrible wig and eyebrows, which were like, that was. Do they so... know it looks that bad? And and the answer is yes. You find yeah. out later. Yes, it is meant to look that but bad. It was so distracting, and I was like, is this on purpose that Joe Pesci's hair piece and eyebrows are supposed to be like extremely fake? But I mean that I spent a long time looking up David Ferry. Yeah, <laughs> and I was out. like, okay, the David Ferry really looked like that. Yeah. So, but you don't find that in this movie until like two plus hours in when he's. If you're someone who dead. doesn't even know who these people are, you see Joe Pesci with right. like a fucked up wig and like overdrawn on eyebrows, and you're like, why? Yeah, and then you're like, oh. And then you spend this like. This doesn't look like a very professional production. Yeah. And then you're wondering, why is he put in here while everyone else, like, I don't know, like, this is a professional (laughs) movie or whatever, and then all of a sudden you have, like, this joke of a, of, like, a, I don't want to say, like, makeup job, because it's not really, like, makeup, it's just, like, a really bad hair piece. Yeah. I mean, and the only clue that you get is that they say that he's like dealing with cancer and he's using all these mice that he has in his place to try to find cancer 
like cures. Yeah, we you just have but, to really know who David Ferry yeah. is as a person. But if you've just watching this movie, not knowing who is who is who, first impressions know, are very strong. Yeah, you're Absolutely. like what? But that I don't know. But I, I Kevin Costner in the end when he was doing the the courtroom scene was good. And that was all one. Take. One long shot. That yeah. was one, well, not one shot, but, but multiple, like one, multiple cameras for the same yeah, take. Yeah, one take, yeah. Uh, and that's a very long, like, half-hour monologue. Monologue, yeah. That he memorized and performed. Yeah. Um, and it's, the rhythm of that is just so good. The, like, at times, like, at the very beginning when they even get, before he gets to his very, very last closing arguments, like, the whole courtroom thing just turns into almost like a rock concert at times where like there's the the big john williams musical score and then he's like it's the music escalating and yeah, getting more frantic and he's like and now blah, blah. And like he's and he's like throwing it to the witness and it's like turning into like this rock concert as right. if like the witness is gonna and give his drum solo there it's like uh reenactments but you still hear his speech over the reenactments mm-hmm if that makes sense. And it then, does. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I was foolish not to write down the editor's names because they both won Oscars. Yeah, I, I mean, which is, that's deserved. And, the, like, it's it's just an incredible it's... pacing throughout. And, and the fact that you have just so much, I don't know, the movie was written by two different people. Zachary, Zachary Sklar handled most of the Jim Garrison stuff. And he's primarily a journalist he doesn't really have film credits he is a journalist um and you can see that flourish of language in the james garrison monologue for sure there's like a ton of platitudes of course a lot of you know a famous poet once said type of things but at the same time like it's just really really well written Okay, the editors are Joe Hutching, who has worked with Oliver a lot. He's He did Born on the Fourth of July. He also did The Doors, okay. which we'll see. Yeah. He has done Jerry Maguire, and he has done Indecent Proposal, Vanilla Sky. I mean... Yeah, He's done a tons, lot of tons. Yeah. And then the other editor is Pietro Scalia, where he also won for an Academy Award for Black Hawk Down. Mm. Okay. But I mean amazing job from them because there is so much to do here. And again, a lot of the cuts from archival footage to new stuff that's meant to look archival in various different ways, whether it's still photography or various different film formats, is amazing. It's seamless. And and I think it's also interesting that they still kept a lot of the original stuff. So you have Gary Oldman's Lee Harvey Oswald mixed in with real pictures of the, of real, the real one. Which, that was so interesting because they show, when they do talk about Lee Harvey... And they're showing pictures of him, but it's Gary Oldman as him. But then when they show, um, like, like old Frank film... Frank Wheelie? Oh. 
No, then they started to show old film footage of the real Lee Harvey Oswald, which yeah. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and then they had the Frank, the fake um, reenactments where they had Frank Whaley as... <laughs> as, yeah, a fake Oswald. As a fake planted Oswald. Planted by somebody to sort of like... Yeah. Get people to know like, oh, hey, I speak Russian and I'm mm-hmm. doing my sharpshooting training right now. Um, sort of like setting up... Oswald as the Patsy. Uh, Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think one of the photographs is of one of the potential fake Oswalds that was in there. But again, I don't know for sure. Uh, But that is is another theory is that Oswald is... was set up specifically. And that they premeditated some of the interactions and brought fake Oswalds there to provoke people and make him and his name memorable so they could come in later and say, oh yeah, I remember that guy. He was the guy who was doing sharpshooting at this range. I wonder, honestly, if it hurts the movie in a bit. Because there's there's so many big-name people. So many cameos. Yeah. So many cameos. And people that don't show up for very long at all. Like, you have Walter Matthau in here as a senator who has one scene where he just kind of, like, plants the seeds in Jim Garrison's mind to say, you know, and something never really sat right with the Kennedy investigation with the Warren Report or whatever. And that's the only time he's in the movie. So, like, why do we have Walter Matthau, Oscar winner for The Fortune Cookie, and nominated for <laughs> Koch and Sunshine Boys and all these different things that he's done in the past. Um, why? Then, like Donald Sutherland with... Yeah, we have Donald Sutherland Mr. As, as Mr. X, who also has a very long monologue sequence as well, sort of like trying to explain the potential um, for a conspiracy and the reasons behind it on the military side. Because Jer- Garrison is focused on this guy, Clay Shaw slash Clay Bertrand, Played amazingly by Tommy Lee Jones. But also bad hair job on him. Yeah, but that is That's what more that guy is supposed to, to look like, but just that weird curly-haired wig. It didn't look much different than his Real? hair in Two-Face. <laughs> in okay. Batman, in, in Batman Forever. It right, ju- but it's just white here. <laughs> but he's also playing it's like someone. A who... It's like a white pompadour type of a look. Yeah, he's also playing someone who's supposed to be South American. So no, but it's just when I look up the real Clay Shaw, it I don't know. That's the one that doesn't match. Yeah, that's it. Doesn't match. I mean, that you could have had someone. He looks like Ricky Ricardo. Or... And this is this is no exception either. So I mean, you have two really amazing supporting leads. Kevin Costner really shines in the big moments where it matters most. Um, the rest of the time, like he's he's there. Like honestly, he feels like a supporting character in his own film. Right, because there's like one hundred different big actors in yeah and he's movie. playing off of all these different big personalities and yeah he's like the straight man to the entire cast uh so you know he doesn't really get a good good moment to shine until the very end and he takes advantage of it 
But I mean, you also have like really good supporting people in there. I I, I really did like I like Laurie Metcalf. Vir- virtually everything. Yeah, Laurie Metcalf is the one I was just about to mention. Okay. As Susie Cox. Great. That's what. Um. But then just seeing a lot of people who are considered like comedians in here, like John Candy was where I'm getting at. Yeah. You know, but it like, was just kind of off-putting. I don't know why. Yes, I think that's part of the problem I have with this movie too, uh, especially when I was growing up. Is nowadays it's a little bit more common for comedians to cross over and do do drama and go back and forth, and it's a little bit more accepted. Maybe it was back then, and I just didn't accept it as a younger person. But to see, yeah, like John Candy in this serious role, but, but he's not serious in the serious role. No, and then he he's isn't like, seeing like, he's like daddy a cat, daddy o type of a guy. And then I was like, why not find an actual person from New Orleans playing this role? I don't know. I don't know if he's meant to be from New Orleans or not. Because he's, I mean, he's, he might have he been a Houston like, lawyer because he was representing Oswald. Oh, okay. I'm, just, like, I'm but, looking up the guy, Dean Andrews, which is what John Candy played. Dean Andrews Jr. Does he look similar because i heard that's partly why he got the role is that yeah it's similar. just kind of like a person it, it was just like let's find an overweight person who wears sunglasses okay that's what it pretty much is yeah. and then he he dean andrews is an attorney in new orleans Oops. who he was questioned by the new orleans he was questioned by Jim Garrison regarding the Warren Commission testimony in which he mentioned, you know, Clay Bertrand. This is how, I don't know, having called him shortly after the assassination of JFK, asking, Clay Bertrand is asking Dean Andrews Jr. to represent Lee Harvey Oswald in his trial. Right. Like, while, like, Right after the assassination. And it was just really weird to see him say, yeah, daddy-o, this and that, daddy-o. And then obviously you have... Um... But I was, I mean, we don't, as someone who is in high school watching this for history class, I don't know, or just now, I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> but, I mean, was this, was that attorney really like that? I don't but that's why I think I would just want to watch a real documentary and see the real people interacting with each other. I don't know how much footage there is of these I know there isn't, that's but the, yeah, that's the big like, I just want to see how these people are in real life. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's it obviously doesn't end with John Candy. You have Brian Doyle Murray, who is also yeah, largely another... comedic, playing Jack Ruby. Um, you have Wayne Knight as another one of Jim Carrison's staff who is actively on Seinfeld at this moment. That, I mean, and then also seeing that whole scene with the magic bullet, whatever it makes me think of the Seinfeld episode because... It was based off of JFK. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was specifically probably created with yeah, him in but, mind. I mean, yeah, then showing... I mean, obviously that episode came out like a year later than this movie, but now watching it, I'm laughing (laughs) because I'm thinking of Seinfeld and then also seeing Wayne Knight in it is so weird. (laughs) 
Yeah, this this incredibly crucial part of the conversation where you're talking about this bullet with all the different entry wounds and exit wounds and how, you know, this bullet could not have done all these different twists and turns and done all these different things, yeah. whatever. It's kind of unfortunately relegated to a joke after the fact because of things like this I have felt episode. Right. Um, or even like the critic in a way too like the back into the left yeah Yeah, back into the left when you know the i remember very well the critic had that little joke about the extended director's cut of jfk and it was just kevin costner's character saying back in the left like 50 more times because he says i mean it makes me be watching a lot of trials and then just knowing like a tur- for a, an attorney to like you have to talk to the jury as if they're kind of dumb so i understand it where he's just like they have to repeat it so the jury is like okay back into the left they have to put it in their minds for their decision like i get it but watching this movie you're kind of laughing like why do you have to say back into the left back into the left back into the left <laughs> like it's, yeah it's, and you're just kind of like okay dude we get it but but it is it is for that but also at the same time like this is meant to be showing like this a brooder film being shown in a public setting for the very first time right where you actually see the president dying like this is the actual moment yeah, these, and you see while like, he's saying that his head exploding Right. Over and over Yeah, and, and he's fast-forwarding and rewinding, just, like, seeing JFK getting hit in the head over and over and, and over. And so it's not just about, like, like, the repetition to, like, you know, re-say that, but also just to... To show. Again, like, you know, like, the humanity of, like, this is a person's life that we're talking about. Uh-huh. This is, like, the most important person in, in American uh, society who got killed, you know, at the time, you know, at top of the top of the food chain president. You know, let's take a moment to realize the impact of this and how this motion doesn't seem to align with the facts that we know. So it's partly, yeah, like you tell somebody something like seven times and they'll eventually remember it, that type of mentality. And then also just like gore sensationalism to kind of like really drive back like this is this is the depth of the crime. This is what we're talking about. But yeah, huge, huge cast. I don't know how many we want to go through overall. I mean, there's a lot of people that we have talked about already, like Wayne Knight and Brian Doyle Murray and John Candy and all these other people. Um, And like Sally Kirkland has like a minor things. But there's a lot of people there where this is like their only performance in a 1991 movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Walter Matthau. Like Laurie Metcalf as Susie Cox, who... Is finally I don't know I she's always had like recognition but I feel like she's still like a weirdly underrated actress overall. Um, Oscar nominated for Lady Bird of course Emmy winner three times over for Roseanne also an Emmy winner for her guest appearance in Hacks recently uh, nominated for Third Rock in the Sun Monk and Desperate Housewives of Big Bang Theory uh, Horace and Pete and Getting On she's also done voice work for Toy Story as uh, Andy's mom she was in Scream Two Uncle Buck. And she also was in one episode of SNL back in 1981, weirdly enough. Um, Wait. Okay. Laurie Metcalf was. Okay. Yeah. Is a cast member? I don't know. 
Oh, okay. I'm not 100 percent sure, but she didn't. She wasn't a host. She was like there, there, like, performing a role. I don't know if she just like as a guest. You know out. how people bring in random. Yeah, she might have just people. like helped out in in a scene or something. Oh, okay. and whatever. All right. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, but yeah, huge, huge cast. And again, another comedian that I would mention here that is kind of off-putting is Jack Lemmon. Yeah. Um, he can definitely do drama. He does do drama, but it's still weird to see him do this because it doesn't quite work for me. And this is weird because he is, again, Oscar winner, two times over for Mr. Roberts and Save the Tiger, and also nominated for Something Like a Hot, The Apartment, and Days of Wine and Roses, and The China Syndrome, and Tribute, and Missing. So many like acting accolades for this guy. But yet, his performance in this, where he's beaten by Edward Asner's character, and starts... He's like the first interview, really, where they start to realize, oh, I know this was three years ago, but everyone's still watching me at every turn, and I can't talk to you about this. There's danger if I talk to you about this. And there's something that's just not quite believable. And, and that's, you know, I think it's him and John Candy specifically to kind of throw the cameos into a realm where it kind of hurts the movie. I don't know how much was... I don't know which scenes were specifically added for the director's cut. I did not look um, at that. One of them, I... There were a lot, actually. So, uh, there's uh, some flashbacks about Oswald's life in Dallas with his wife. That were that was in the director's cut. I mean, it was an extra seventeen minutes. Okay. When Garrison and his assistant are at the book depository and they're discussing the motorcade route, and when they were um, asking several people about where the shots were, and then the whole Frank Whaley scene, scene the flashback. Oh, he was. Yeah. A fa- out of the Frank Whaley, yeah, is seen in a flashback doing a test driving a new car and talking about Russia to this to a salesman, and then the entire scene of Jim Garrison on that Jerry Johnson show, yeah, with John Larroquette, yeah, Larroquette, who is Larroquette, yeah, Night Court, Night Court, most prominently, yeah, which I mean. I don't remember seeing that. Yeah, I don't so. remember seeing that either. And uh, that's that's based off of a real perform a real TV situation where Johnny Carson had Jim Garrison on, and apparently grilled him. Right. On, so on this, this is like a show. fake show. There wasn't a Jerry Johnson. <laughs> yeah, there was no Jerry Johnson. It was meant to be. But a the same Carson thing. Or, oh. I mean, I thought that was interesting because Garrison is trying to show photos of just people in the crowd and pointing certain people out saying hey this isn't this weird this guy like, was yeah, this, here this this supposed hobo right in really nice clothing and nice shoes there's no record of him being interrogated no one's ever seen him since isn't that weird and yeah, and yeah. Like, no we can't show that on a camera there's and they laws. kind of just uh i mean i was trying to see if there was anything on youtube of this um oh, interview probably, probably not on youtube well, I couldn't find anything, yeah. so... But I just wanted to see what happened to the real Garrison. Yeah. Like, what, I mean, I mean, he was probably trying to show the same photos, but I wanted to know, like, how they treated it. Because in this situation on 
this Jerry Johnson's show. They kind of just like cut to commercial, and, and that was it. And I think one of the scenes after that where Bill tries to set him up in the public restroom, that's also probably new. Yeah, Bill meets Jim right and tells him about the mob will attempt to assassinate him and then that's when he flees from a public restroom when he hears a strange strange voices in the next stall that's that was in the director's cut and then garrison and his staff discovering that broussard has disappeared from his apartment and okay. argue about the real reason who clay shaw is and during the trial, more there was just more witnesses okay. against Shaw that were shown than the theatrical version. So, I mean, I understand that it doesn't need to be there. Like, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned there, it doesn't really help the film all that much. It's the only thing I think would help the, the uh, film whatever. is the Jim Garrison appearance on the Jerry Johnson show, I think. But yeah, yeah, a everything little bit because I mean, you, you see a little bit of the the media smear came smear campaign against him, um, which he and you know the film interpret interprets as, oh, I'm getting too close because his office is supposedly bugged, and now you know the the media is claiming that he's a crackpot and that he's like you know trying to ruin his character by saying all these other different things, um, so that's kind of an extension of that. The uh, the end result of, of the whole situation, obviously, is that uh, Clay Shaw... Um, well, the movie presents it like this, and I don't know how much the, of this is true either, but when Clay Shaw is finally arrested, mm -hmm. he gives the alias in the, court, uh, in, in the police station of Clay Bertrand. The judge deems that inadmissible because he says that there was no lawyer present when he gave that uh, statement to the cops. And so that was like part of the whole case that Jim Garrison had is to say, look, this person and that person are the same. And so without that, that's what the movie claims really made uh, the not guilty ver verdict stick. And you see like one of the jurors afterwards say, we think there's a conspiracy, but whether or not Clay Shaw was involved is a whole other thing. And so we found him not guilty. Right. And the film just ends kind of with, you know, Garrison defeated, but then he is saying, you know, I'm still going to run for DA. Yeah, I'm going to run again. I'm going to win again. And I'm going to win. And, you know, it also shows that, I mean, throughout the movie, it shows his relationship with his family about mostly like his wife is just fed up. Yeah, it's him. so easy to just kind of forget about that aspect of it, even though you have, again, another really good performance from Sissy Spacek as the as the wife. Yeah, she's just kind of like, I mean, obviously, like your husband has been, I mean, he's a DA, so I mean, this but is. I mean, what... yeah, the movie isn't as much about the human aspect of Jim Garrison's life; it's about the conspiracy. Yeah, so, so I mean, they sprinkle it. This movie is based off of Jim Garrison's book. Yeah. So he probably talks about how his family life was strained because of his obsession over this assassination. I well, don't sure. know. Sure, also any potential death threats that they would have received, which I right, which could they show believe as being true. Yeah, so they show like some parts where 
their daughter is getting a phone call from someone saying, hey, your daddy put you into this beauty contest. Like, what's your height and weight? And it was just really weird. Right, yeah, it's like this fishing expedition to possibly right. kidnap her later yeah. or something like that. So, yeah, scary stuff. Um, but not much is done beyond that. And, and I understand it because there's a lot of meat to, to chew on here. Right. They also, like, glance through the Robert Kennedy assassinations and Martin Luther King assassinations. Right. And I think one of the things that the film does kind of poorly, in a way, is that they kind of act as if Jim is there. You know what I mean? Like, it's like when he's watching the newscast on TV or he's listening to the speech, mm-hmm. you can see, like, the wind coming through the windows and he gets, like, this sixth sense intuition in his head. And then, you know, like, this... The shots happen and like it makes like it seem he like he feels he's like, it right, like some sort of um, telekinesis. Or I don't know what's that. Yeah, like exactly, like yeah. Like, a, like a telepathy type of a yeah, thing telepathy. Or, not that happens a couple different times in this, and but, that's yeah, like when he when he found out about JFK's assassination and him going oh no, like with when he found out about. Martin Luther King and the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, he kind of just, like, collapses to the ground and, like, grabs his head as if, I don't know... Showing him mourn is not great. I don't know. Yeah, just the sensationalization of it. Yeah. Um, Because he's, like, alone in the house and, like, yeah, the wind comes through the windows and, like, he's... Yeah, it's Acting like some, he's super, physically hearing the some supernatural force took over him. Like, ah. Uh, yeah, as like, if it came through his window and went into J- in RFK. Right. Uh, I also didn't really like the very, very end of the speech where he looks directly at the camera and says, it's up to you. Oh, yeah. Like, that's a little bit too direct. <laughs> you know? Um but it is up to us, except not really, because no, we don't have I mean, any control over anything. We, yeah, this was something that happened 30, well, 30 years from, like, 1991, but... Yeah. So, and then it's just, like, at the postscript, it reads that Garrison lost his re-election bid, and he was unseated by Harry Connick Sr., Harry Connick Jr.'s father. Okay. But it, it says, yeah, in 1979, mm, the yeah. CIA admitted that Clay Shaw worked for them, uh, but Clay Shaw died in 1974, so they waited right. five years after his death to even announce that he potentially worked for them. Uh, and then the, the information about how the rest of the documents related to JFK would be unsealed in 2029, yeah, but that got pushed up kind of to 2017. It's been delayed, or parts of it have been delayed until basically like this month. And I think other parts are still under seal. Um, there's still, you know, some non-public facing aspects of that. There was and like the public a... stuff is also somewhat redacted. So it's right. not, not fully like whatever. The legislative impact. But the after watching, after this movie was released, the Assassination Records Review Board partially credit the concern over the conclusion of JFK's assassination and 
they stated in the film that popular it popular popularized a version of President Kennedy's assassination that featured U.S. government agents from the FBI of the CIA and the military as conspirators and describing the film as largely fictional but the ARRB the Assassination Records Review Board acknowledges Stone's point that official records were to be sealed from the public until 2029 and that's when they moved they put into law to like move it up because of this movie I don't know. I mean, there's obviously stuff that is meant to be national security for various different reasons. Yeah, and then the the real Jim Garrison, he died in 1992. But and he I does appear in this movie, by the right, way. He plays yeah. Earl Warren, who wrote the Warren Commission report that Jim Garrison tears apart and says is full of holes. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really say like what his thoughts were about this movie or anything like that yeah i don't know how how much he would have been able to i mean obviously he was involved if he right got to be in it and it was but based off of his book yeah. largely also another book written by jim's jim mars who uh is heavily into conspiracies and writes about aliens stuff as well so you know like it's the combination of the two again kind of yeah of like that. this DA, but then also some other conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat type of guy. Right. Yeah, it's easy to to make that assumption. The combination of those things. Um, we I know we're going over right. So yeah, like, I mean like, I'm already. This is like part of my. Yeah, this pop is culture. True crime. True pop crime. Culture. This, this is, is I'm like crime. I'm already. I'm just like giving information as like whatever. So yeah, we're so, not really going to have a segment. Yeah. So we'll talk about some cast and crew that we haven't already, at least give some some credits to them. Um, and then we can go into the awards. Oliver Stone, I, honestly, I'll just wait until we see him again in The Doors, because he's going to write and direct The Doors. Um, also a 1991 movie. Kevin Costner we've seen before. A bunch of other people we've seen before, so I'm going to skip over them. Ed Asner is Guy Bannister, who has a very small but important, like, role at the very beginning is he's evidently like a, a leader of the this militia group whatever <laughs> that it was unknown to his really good buddy and partner jack martin played by jack lemon guy bannister played by ed asner seven seven time emmy winner for the mary tyler moore show and lou grant and roots and rich man poor man also nominated for csi new york the christmas card and also his role on the trials of rosie o'neill which is a show that we've talked about here on this podcast as part of 1991 uh daytime emmy nominations for his voice acting work in captain planet the animated series of spider-man where he plays J. jonah jameson uh word girl and Storybots christmas he's also been in things like up of course elf uh, freakazoid gargoyles and he's in the 1991 movies Silent Motive and Yes, Virginia, There is a Santa Claus. We talked about Jack Lemmon a little bit. Gary Ullman is Lee Harvey Oswald, Oscar winner for Darkest Hour, nominated for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Mank. MTV movie nominations for Best Kiss for Dracula uh, and Best Fight and Best Villain for Air Force One. Razzie nominated for Worst Couple in the Scarlet Letter. I didn't even remember he was in that movie. 
He's been in things like Sid and Nancy, State of Grace, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, True Romance, Fifth Element, and the Harry Potter series, and also Commissioner Gordon in some of the Batman films like Dark Knight. Sissy Spacek, Oscar winner for Coal Miner's Daughter, nominated for Carrie, Missing, The River, Crimes of the Heart, and In the Bedroom. Uh, she's also in 1991's Hard Promises. Um, and then Tommy Lee Jones, I think is going to be the last one I talk about, as Clay Shaw, Oscar winner for The Fugitive, nominated for In the Valley of Elah and Lincoln, Emmy Award winner for Executioner's Song, nominated for Lonesome Dove, BAFTA nominated for No Country for Old Men, Spirit Award winner for The Fugitive, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's actually MTV Movie Award winner for The Fugitive for Best Duo, and also nominated for Best Villain for Blown Away and Batman Forever, and also nominated for Best Duo in Men in Black. In terms of awards for this movie, quite a lot of Oscar stuff. Oscar winner for Best Editing, like we talked about, and also Best Cinematography, which is a little surprising. Understandable to a degree as well because of all the different formats and everything that they had to, to deal with and try to match up as, as well as they did. Mm -hmm. But in a year dominated by Silence of the Lambs, which also has incredible cinematography. Uh, this one over... This one over that. It's like the only like semi-major award that it did not win. Uh, also at the Oscars, JFK was nominated for the best score, best sound, screenplay, director, supporting actor for Tommy Lee Jones, and best picture. BAFTA award winner for best sound and best editing, nominated for screenplay, supporting actor for Tommy Lee Jones, at the Golden Globes, it won best director, and it was nominated for screenplay, lead actor for Kevin Costner. That's his only nomination for this. And also Best Picture. MTV Movie Award nominated for Best Movie. Okay. <laughs> and also the clip was shown in the Best Hairdos. Probably Joe Pesci. Possibly also Tommy Lee Jones' Clay Shaw. Uh, and also part of the quotes montage, probably for Back and to the Left. So that's... That's the award history. Honestly, there's probably a little bit more, but, you know, those are the major ones. And it was a huge box office success. Compared to the budget of $40 million, it grossed 205, making it number 17 on the overall list of 1991 box office performers. So there you go. In when Oliver Stone won his Best Director Award for... The Golden Globes. His in his speech, he said, "A terrible lie was told to us 28 years ago. I hope this film can be first the first step in righting what is wrong." It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. Of, there's a lot still wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's won other Oscars as well, uh, but I mean, again, yeah, we'll talk about that in 1991. And then in Entertainment Weekly, it's JFK is ranked as one of the 25 most powerful po political thrillers. This was as of like 2012. Yeah, we also didn't talk about this, but I mean, like Roger Ebert made it his number one movie of the year over Silence of the Lambs. This was his number mm. one. Um, and I agree with a lot of the sentiments he had in his review is that like the movie is not so much about the facts, it's about the feelings. Mm. and that's what this movie really does present really well and what I've also been trying to hopefully say here too is like you know you can't take anything in this movie at face value but just like the ideas behind it you know the the the, the, the long strokes the broad strokes of it that's where it really shines to me as well yeah and then when I was reading just 
other facts about this movie. Kevin, the at the end when Kevin Costner is doing the trial and relaying everything, it's yeah, at the, the very part. at the very end where his closing arguments, like convincing the jury to just uh, admit that Clay Shaw, Clay Bertrand was wrong. Um, he's like tearing up and crying a little bit and that was real tears from Kevin Costner. Yeah. Move on to true crime and pop culture, even though this whole movie I mean, is true I could, crime. But I'm mostly just gonna go like just stuff about the movie and then I also read that the magic bullet theory was debunked and in 2003 there was uh on the 40th anniversary of the assassination peter jennings hosted a special that proved a single bullet could do the damage it did the actual car that kennedy was riding in had been refitted to suit its passenger with the black with the back seat three inches higher than the front once the adjust adjustment is made oswald line of fire sinks up i've yeah i mean i've heard that that's also been debunked separately that the debunk has been debunked oh okay so So the the, the, the magic bullet thing was also deep like i mean that's that's the 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 danger of this too though is like yeah what can you really debunking what can you do and a lot of the people will stop when they see something that they want to believe you know they're not going to actually search for the truth they're going to look for validation of their own feelings and that goes on both the magic bullet theory people and it goes for the people who want to debunk the magic theory people the magic bullet theory people so that's what makes it difficult to actually find the truth is that you know like oh yeah well the seat was raised so yep it could happen but then somebody would say well it couldn't happen because of this other factor and, you know, nobody thought about that until after the debunk happens. Yeah, and then, I mean, this movie was released on December 20th, 1991, which was a Friday. It was also the same release date as Father of the Bride. Mm. And, um... That's a happy, uh, back-to-back. That's like the Oppenheimer Barbie But for of, the first the week, JFK got fifth place. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... I mean... People don't want to watch that over Christmas. Right. That's why I was a bit... I understand why they released these movies, like, right before Christmas, so it can be in the Oscars or whatever. Yeah. But it didn't start to do well until January of 1992. So maybe, like... I don't know. Yeah, it's too early for the nominations to be announced. I was going to say, like, maybe when the award Maybe. I don't know when they... Started they do nominations so late now. I don't know what it was like beforehand yeah or maybe just by word of mouth people are like okay let's watch this movie but i don't want to watch this before christmas right but yeah and then this was also the same day where that christmas special (laughs) that we made fun of (laughs) which was probably on the father of the bride episode the wish that changed Christmas. Yeah, presented by McDonald's. Yeah. I, I mean, I saw that and it made me laugh and think about that. <laughs> it's like, will you adopt me for Christmas, random stranger? 
But there's also in Only Matters, Waldo. Do you remember Waldo Faldo? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whenever he would, like, come over to the house or ask Laura Winslow on a date, there was an episode where during a date with Laura Winslow, he says he wanted to go see the movie Jifka. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then Laura corrects him and says, oh, you mean JFK? And he was like, yeah, I know how it's spelled. Okay. But uh, that's, that was in pop culture, but that just made me laugh. And then there was like a second time where he messed up a movie where um, they were going to go see Malcolm X, and he called it Malcolm 10. So same basic joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, that's... Oh, that I works. I don't have a lot. <laughs> Bringing back the name Waldo Faldo, I think, is good enough. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put JFK? I mean, I'm going to give this movie a three. A three. I'm going higher. On my zero to four star scale, I don't know if this is controversial. I don't know if this is compared well, to conspiracy. Four? No, I'm saying it's a three and a half. Though. Oh. Okay. Yeah. A five? <laughs> yeah. Is it that's, off the that, scale? That's controversial. <laughs> yeah, the mob changed your scale. No, I'm going to say it's a three and a half out of four. Uh, I still do really like this movie, even though I understand the faults of it. I honestly, like, again, maybe this is just my own personal bias. I think that the faults are part of the point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not supposed to be. But I think that really actually enhances the experience for me is like not really knowing what's real and what's not and like kind of not caring. Like just enjoying the passion of the people, enjoying like the idea and the story behind the whole thing. Like that's that's what makes it, enjoy, you know, riveting to me. Plus incredibly strong acting from virtually everybody in this very large cast. Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Probably not for a really long time. Yeah, I I probably, yeah, I think the last time I watched this might have been in college. So, yeah, I think um, I need another decade or so to pass before I would again. Yeah. I'd obviously watch a lot more other JFK stuff. I've seen 13 Days, which I think includes both Kevin Bacon and Kevin Costner. Right? I don't know if I've seen any JFK. I, so I'd watch things. like other JFK related movies. I'd watch other Oliver Stone movies. We are going to watch another Oliver Stone movie. I will before say this. that this is better than The Doors. I'm. Just... Okay, I have not seen The Doors yet, so <laughs> that did not make the AFI top four hundred. Um, but so yes, but not for a long time. This needs to go back under seal for a while, and then we can reopen it later. If you out there want to watch JFK as of this recording in July 2023, it's available on Max, Cinemax, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing the conspiracy-type stuff, uh, theme, mind-fudgery. Yeah. It's conspiracy, mind-fudgery, thriller stuff. Uh, Where Sleeping Dogs Lie. That's on Plex, VHS, and DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.